to COVID Around the World, the podcast dedicated to connecting with Fairfield University's international partners during COVID-19. I'm your host, Lucas Santiago, and in today's episode, it is dedicated to our partners in Brazil, Iracambi. Our guest today is Vinca, one of the founders of Iracambi. How are you doing today, Vinca? I'm doing just fine, probably a lot better than you guys since you have no power, right? <laughs> well, actually, I got some good news. The power actually just came in um, an hour ago, so I am home. I'm not at a friend's house, so that's is great news here. But it does look like it's going to rain, so I don't know. It might, you never know. <laughs> we have power here. So, uh, hey. we're, we're a little bit better than you are. But anyway, listen, <laughs> it's great to be with you. Great to be awesome. here. Great to be here, too. Great to be with you as well. Um, if you could just give a little introduction about yourself, about E.com.B, so everybody can know um, what E.com.B stands for, what do you guys do. Okay. My name is Binka. I am one of the founders with um, my my husband, Robin, co-founder, uh, who's on another call at the moment. We can say whatever we like because he can't in, uh, contradict us. Um, <laughs> and basically, um, I was born in England. Um, he was born in Kenya. We um, lived in many, many parts of the world, lots, all the continents except Antarctica. And... Uh, fell in love, came to Brazil, um, fell in love with Brazil and decided to see if we could do something to set up a, a sustainable operation. Um, people talk a lot about sustainability, but it, it's easier to talk about, as you all probably know, than it is to do. So we had this kind of crazy dream. Um, you can call it a midlife crisis. And <laughs> I need to let you know that midlife crises occur at any age. They can occur at your age too, Lucas. If they yeah, I'm <laughs> going through one right now, finding jobs. <laughs> there you go. And they can recur at any time. And actually, you know, just make lemonade out of them because midlife crises are wonderful chances to pivot away from whatever it was you were doing. Exactly. Without really yep. thinking. Mm-hmm. And go do something crazy. So long story short, uh, Robin and I, our kids were at college. Uh, we were living in Washington, D.C. We decided to come back to Brazil where we had already worked. Uh, we spoke the language. That was about all the preparation we had. Um, and we decided to come down and buy a piece of land in, in the mountains of Minas Gerais, which is the state immediately to the north of Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro mm-hmm. in um, southeastern Brazil. And see if we can, the original idea was to make a sustainable fazenda, a sustainable forest farm. And one thing led to another. And that's the great thing about midlife crisis. You never know where they're going to take you. (laughs) And it turned into something really big, right? So um, I have to come clean. I'm not a scientist. I am by osmosis because I've been working in this so long. But actually, I was trained as a classical pianist. Um, which shows that you can do anything, which is another great thing about midlife crises. Anyway, when I after we had come here and set up, uh, we first of all got in a car in Washington, D.C., drove down to Brazil, which is not as easy as you think it is because actually there isn't a road. Yeah, it's, it's a little <laughs> difficult. <laughs> a little difficult. So there's one point uh, where North and South America or Central and South America join where there's no road and... It's full of um, guerrilla fighters and drugs, um, you know, narco-trafficantes and all kinds of things. Yeah. So Just to get to, down to Brazil was a, a whole, like, was a, a mission. <laughs> yeah. It was a real drama. But when we got here, uh, we started with a farm. 
And then I found that I couldn't really be a concert pianist anymore because I was in the middle of the rainforest. So I started writing books and how Irakambi nonprofit began. Um, I started writing books about rainforests because if you're going to start writing, it's good to write about something you really, really love. And luckily I'd fallen in love with the rainforest where we are. And it is uh, a beautiful place, Sue. It is. Thank you, Lucas. Uh, you're all you're all invited, guys. You are all invited. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, so uh, we were uh, we were here. Um, it was almost at that time, like going back a hundred years. It was a very isolated uh, place. There was no internet. There was no telephone. People went went around on horseback. And um, this beautiful, beautiful forest was getting cut down, sort of nibbled away little by little because people were really poor and couldn't afford to send their kids to school. So they just cut down another tree. You're not, they weren't supposed to, uh, but they were doing it. So we decided we needed to do something about the rainforest. And I was, I was actually on a book tour in England and somebody at a book signing came up to me and said, hey, you... you you guys got a rainforest. Well, it sounds very cool, doesn't it? So I said, well, we got a bit of a rainforest. We've got yeah. an entire rainforest. Yeah. And he said, what are you doing about it? So I kind of thought about that. And then when I got back to Brazil, you know, several weeks later, I said to Robin, hey, what are we doing about it? And we decided that the best way to do something was to set up a nonprofit and see what we could do. We could, if we could find out why people were destroying the forest, which is basically because they were poor and they didn't have any other choice, mm-hmm. and if we could figure out better ways of looking after rainforests, um, and so that was when Irakambi nonprofit was born. It's been actually we're just having our twenty-first birthday, Irakambi. <laughs> My time in Idakambi was an amazing time. I definitely learned a lot um, mm-hmm. while in Brazil. First, it was great to be back in my own country, but Idakambi definitely taught me a lot about the environment, a lot about the conditions of a certain area in in my country that I've lived in that I didn't even know about. Um, Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot, especially sustainable farming with ways of taking care of your farm. For example, um, your coffee without using pesticides, using something natural that's able to fight off any pests, but it does not destroy the environment around. So I I definitely learned a lot in Yudakam B and I feel like it's a great experience for anybody to, um, to go to, go through and definitely volunteer. It's an, uh, it's an amazing time. Um, so currently right now, we are living through some difficult times. We're living through a historical time, right? We never thought that a, a, a pandemic could just show up out of nowhere. And mm-hmm. and because of that, because of COVID-19, everything has changed. And we've been living through, living home, basically. We we don't do our jobs that we'd be used, we're used to. So I wanted to ask you, Rinka, how has COVID-19 affected Idakambi in its future plans? Or was it completely brought to a halt? Or is it... Right now, you have a better, like, is there a plan? Like, what is going on? Well, I, I think when it first happened, well, first of all, when, when um, COVID sort of became real it, towards mm-hmm. the end of March, right. I was actually in the United States. Um, I was hoping to come to Fairfield, but oh, nice. such plans <laughs> didn't work out. <laughs> right. Lots of plans didn't work out. Um, so the first thing I had to do was figure out how the heck to get back to Brazil because all the flights were canceled and so on. Correct. So I a horrendous four-day journey, uh, catching the last plane, you know, into Panama and the last plane out of Panama and so on and so forth. Oh, you had a lot of connections then. Ah, 
Yes. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yes. yes. And Rio was completely closed down. Uh, all, all traffic in and out of Rio was, was closed. And we had to kind of sneak our way out and catch a bus to somewhere that we didn't want to go to just mm-hmm. to get out of the city. Anyway, uh, at that point, we very sadly had to send home all our foreign students and volunteers uh, exactly that very same weekend. It was the last uh-huh. week in, in March. So there was, you know, considerable confusion. And I think to start, of course, nobody had any idea how long this was going to go on. And there was lots of happy talk about, oh, well, you know, by May, it'll be fine. Right? Yeah, it was a, yeah, it was the same thing here as well. It was in the middle, once it, the, the lockdown began, I was coming back from um, the one week that we have off. And okay. they told us it's going to be oh, it's just it's a solid, just a month maybe. And then it just extended. It kept going on and on. So, Right, you know, right. So the new normal, well, whatever that's going to be. Well, I think the first thing we need to realize is that they're actually we're not going back to the old normal. And we've got to yep. figure out what the heck the new normal is going to be. Yeah. Yeah? Tell me what your thoughts are on that, Luke. Oh, no, no, no. Um, so I definitely do believe it's not going to go back to the way it used to be, especially now. And I think it still doesn't seem like countries are being able to control it. So especially like the U.S. and Brazil, it definitely doesn't look like it's going to turn, be turning back to the, you know, the, the way it used to be, like the normal, um, anytime soon. Which is pretty exciting, pretty scary. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, you know, our, we're out of our comfort zone. We're all like way out of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And I was reflecting that on that yesterday. And you leave your comfort zone, and the first zone you land in is a zone of, of fear. And, exactly. Oh my God! Supposing you know, I'm end up on a ventilator or oh, whatever, <laughs> um, and then and then you kind of get through that, and you get into some kind of zone of, of well, maybe we better you know take the learning out of this, and then you actually, if you stop and think, uh, you find the the sort of zone of opportunity. Okay, we've got we've got to reinvent ourselves. We call right, that to, yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so how do we do that? So, so the first sort of kind of concrete result for us is that, um, of course, with the northern summer, this is our high season for international students. So we right. should have, you know, 10 to 15 people from lots of different nationalities uh, running around saving the world and doing really useful stuff. <laughs> that was the, the best, that's the, one of the best things, the things I love the most about it. I can be just a bunch of different people from different backgrounds there. Yes. And and, and let me tell you, Lucas, that when you get a bunch of people from different languages and different backgrounds and and, and different ages often too, and and put them in, you know, in a little place in the middle of the rainforest where they can't easily get away and the nearest bar is like 12 kilometers away. Right. (laughs) And there's no television or very little television. So people actually talk to each other. Right. Amazing, right? Right. Yeah, that's 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 how it was. We were talking to each other's ideals were flowing. We were mm-hmm. having arguments with each other about different things. It was great. It's a great time. Yep. Um, I was thinking, you know, you actually have time to hang out in a hammock and read a book, which yep. in all normal you probably never did have time. Uh, and we were talking. Uh, one of the Irukumbi students told me the other day on a on a Zoom call that. Um, it was the first time in her life that she'd ever been able to to reflect on what what was I born for? Wow, that that's deep. <laughs> that is deep. 
But it's kind of cool to be able to do that, you know, and you might not even find it out, but it's fun to be able to sort of explore it with other people. Yeah. So the first thing that happened to Rukumbi was the students, of course, all disappeared. We are now, just now, like four months into it, um, beginning to open up, not for international students, because I believe the Brazilian borders are still closed. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, my, my mother just recently came back to the U.S. and she had like a really difficult time trying to like get flights and just trying to move over here. So yeah, it, it will be difficult for other students as well, right? For a while, sadly, yes. Yeah. So we are just opening up for local students and visitors and we have to be super careful because one of the things that happened is because we live in a relatively remote rural area, mm-hmm. uh, when we were closing down, which was the same time that I was um, trying to get back from the States and sitting in Panama airport and you know, Rio bus station and so on, right. um, some of the uh, local villagers uh, sent the police to us because they figured that we were harboring people from outside the community who were probably really this dreadful disease. Yes. Really? So they thought you guys, wow. So they thought you guys were really like keeping people there. They, so they felt threatened or yes. like, wow. And, How did that go? Well, that, well, that's sort of common in area, sort of remote rural areas where there's not much information available. Right. And, you know, it's easy to point the finger at something that's just a tiny bit different that isn't, you know, that isn't who you are. Right, isn't right. your family. So we have to be super careful um, to explain, you know, that very sadly we'd sent everybody away. And you will laugh because in May, this was in March that, that this all happened. Right. In May, I'm sitting in my house and we're in, uh, you know, social distancing, which is pretty nice in the rainforest. Right. That, that's <laughs> uh, and, and we're all probably like you all, you know, a bit more relaxed and wandering around in our, you know, pajamas or our tracksuits or something. Right. <laughs> Just enjoying your time to ourselves, yeah. Exactly. And, and then the police show up, and, uh, uh, you know, at the end of the day. And I say, hey, you know, what are you guys doing? And they said, oh, well, you know, uh, we heard in, in March. Okay, this was, in, this was two months later. We heard in March that you had, you know, foreign students here and, and maybe you were spreading COVID-19. Oh, they, they, they went to your oh. house. Wow. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Uh, so I said, well, please do come in and look around, see if you can see any COVID-19 anywhere. You know, as far as I know, we don't have any. Yeah, please come around. I'll invite you over. <laughs> come look in. <laughs> but actually, you know, you know uh, Lucas, it was really good because it was one of the local policemen. And we, we right. had a long chat and he said, well, you know, my family are from Italy. So next time you have Italian students, you know, please let me know. And I said, of course we will. And he changed <laughs> WhatsApp numbers and... See, look I at said, that, a connection built right there. Yeah, right there. And I said, could you give me a copy of the message from the public ministry telling you to come an inspector? So we just know the paperwork, you know. I thought, well, it's, it's just good to get these guys on our side. Right. And, in fact, it worked very well because a couple of weeks later, Robin was in, in the village in a car that was not sort of correctly licensed. And the policeman came up and said, could you show me your papers? And Robin gave him a big smile and said, I don't actually have any papers. Oh, man. <laughs> and the policeman looked at him and said, oh, but you're from Irukumbi, aren't you? Just go away and do not sin again. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. That condition definitely helped out. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, that's great. Um, so, and um, so like you've mentioned, like we're, you're not have you don't have any volunteers there for now. But what is it looking like in the future, like for for volunteers to come in um, to you dot com B? Is it all going to be de- obviously? Well, it's going to be dependent on the on the situation of the pandemic. But yes. you see something maybe as soon as like maybe next year or or this year maybe at the end of the I don't know what does it look like because I know every state in Brazil is in a different situation because São Paulo for example where I'm from it's very heavily concentrated there with cases so Minas I don't know much. Okay, now what, what's happening here is we are uh, say twelve kilometers, so it's eight miles or whatever mm-hmm. from the local little town that's so small that if you sneeze, you're through it, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and so far, there haven't been any cases. There are a few. It is possible actually did a COVID test here. So if any of you guys really? want a COVID test, here. <laughs> um, and there are a few people who were sort of under observation, but. Um, so far, there has been nothing. In the nearest town, which is about an hour away, Muriaye, uh, there's a big regional hospital and they've had about 50 cases. Uh, wow. They've had about 50 deaths, sorry, so they've had more cases. But um, everybody is being remarkably well-behaved and wearing masks. And, and uh, That's great. We, we are just beginning to receive Brazilian visitors uh, for the day because right. we actually see our place as a a sort of a, a haven of rest because people who live in cities in really, really, really small apartments are mm-hmm. beginning to suffer from cabin fever. We have been talking this afternoon and, and setting up protocols as to how we can let them come and visit us for the day or maybe even stay with us if we, um, if, you know, if we stick to all the rules of wearing masks and, and hygiene and so on. And we're sort of seeing our very, very beautiful area and our very nice facilities as a bit of a kind of public service that, uh, awesome. you know, that we can offer a bit of respite to people who are sitting uh, in small spaces and, 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 you know, suffering a little bit because there's a lot of stress and strain, I think, associated with being in a small space and, and, and the uncertainty and the fear and so yeah. on. So, Definitely. Yeah. So as so, uh, you know, I can be not only take care of the environment, but there's people too, right? And that's and that's yeah. amazing to see because living in a city and living in a rural environment is like it's completely different, right? And, and the city is yeah. so like high paced. Everybody's doing so many things so many times, and mm-hmm. it, things can be so expensive to to be able to get a place that's so you know open. You end up being in a small like apartment, for example, like in New York City, where it's crazy expensive, and you end up living in really short and really small place but you're not going to be there to be able to be giving you that spot that um opportunity to breathe to be in touch with the environment to be in touch with yourself and people around you that's great yeah right yeah sorry as as for as for um foreign students i think since many but not all but many of our foreign students come from the united states as you know yeah and um you know so that's what you might call a little bit out of our control (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> then that's going to happen. And the Europeans, in many cases, have got things, you know, better organized. And I, I would think that we should be able to be accepting um, European students from some countries anyway, before the end of the year. And really, really hoping that we'll be able to have North American students, uh, certainly by the beginning of next year. But you know, it's it's really out of our control. That's yeah, right. Bad, right? Mm-hmm. It's very dependent on the situations of each country. But it's still great news that you you at least for students that are coming from Europe, um, you can expect them to come sooner sooner, which is mm-hmm. which is great. Um, and I know um, the situation for volunteers is um, 
difficult right now, but how about the staff that works for you that can be? How is how how has that transition been? Um, if they're working from home or if they're still able to go into um the institution into it, that can be and go go back. Like how is that working for everybody? Um, about, we are at the moment uh, nine nine staff and nine staff, uh, okay. two are living at the centre because we have a big forest nursery and we've got to look after our baby trees, otherwise the world will end, right? <laughs> Correct. Uh, so they are they have been you know running the the centre for the last few months and now beginning to have more um, Brazilian volunteers and students coming mostly by the day to help out because they find it quite therapeutic to come and, you know, work in the nursery for a little bit or something. Mm-hmm. So that's the basic thing. Robin and I are in our house, which is, uh, you know, 40 minutes walk away from the center. Right. A distance from one another. And um, the rest of our staff are in, in their homes, uh, and, um, working from home. And we have actually interesting, a new staff member, who is doing really? our, um, who is our uh, resource mobilization person. And she lives in Sao Paulo. And oh. we've been working quite closely together for the last three months, but we've never actually met except on Zoom. So oh, so it's just been things. through online this whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, technology's helping. Great to, great to have it at this time. Yes, awesome. It yes, awesome. It so it's good. It's definitely great to hear that um, although – Everything has been different, although the pandemic has slowed down everything. You're not going to be still going. You're not going to be still fighting for, you know, going through with this mission. And it's definitely great to hear that. But now I want to switch you just um, a little bit into a a different topic. I wanted to focus on um, the president and the situation that's going on, um, which it kind of seems like he's on a current fight against the regulations, against the rules. of the COVID-19 situation. So I just wanted to hear from you. And I haven't lived in Brazil for a while. I do follow the the news um, every day here. Um, I definitely do. But it's different when you live outside, correct? So when you live there, you, you feel it more in your skin, right? You feel like the changes and everything there. So um, I wanted to... I wanted to hear from you. What are your thoughts thoughts in regards to the way the president has handled this pandemic while living in Brazil while being there? Um, well, first, first of all, it's important to notice that uh, note that it's it's much easier and less stressful, frankly, to be in a rural area and particularly right. in the rainforest than it is to be in Sao Paulo or, or you know, in, in a place that's sort of close where everything's in your face all the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it may sound obvious, but actually it's really, really important that we're able to kind of relax. And Brasilia, you know, is a very long way away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in Brazil, as in as actually in North America and other countries, um, you know, presidents construct and, uh, and make you know stupid pronouncements or whatever, whether right. you agree with them or disagree with them. But actually, people just get on with living. And um, I find that at, at local level, um, people here, surprisingly, uh, Brazil is not a country that's known for discipline. Um, uh-huh. but, People are um, behaving sensibly, and I, I think there's a, a, there's enough real information getting through to to some extent counter the blasts of disinformation right. from the federal government, right? Yeah. So yeah, what I hear usually from um, and, well, and I'm glad to hear that as well. I know that from areas like the rural areas, um, where my grandmother's at, um, 
I hear the same thing that you just told me. People are actually following way more. Um, they're staying on top of things, which is great. So there is good information going through. Um, but areas like Sao Paulo, like the bigger cities, you see a lot of, because there's a, there is like a higher concentration of like more use of like the internet and more like, you know, the WhatsApp groups where people just pass information around and a lot of times are misleading. Um, it, it is like a huge issue. And, and the bigger one is, it's like, the man who's supposed to be, you know, the man who's in charge of the country who's supposed to be taking care is spreading some misinformation, such mm-hmm. as the chloroquine, like the chloroquine yeah. drug, right? That I've heard of a lot about where he was trying to pass it on as a drug that can take um, take care of patients that have COVID-19. Have you, what did you, what have you heard about it um, being there like in Minas or just in general, what have you heard about chloroquine? Because I know it's not something that is helping people out that actually have the disease there's actually there's like scientific like journals that came out that like against it so like what are your thoughts in that like uh, about him putting that out there in the media for people to hear as if it's something that's correct as if it's something that's true okay well i have i have an african background uh, because uh, robin comes from kenya and my kids live in africa and um i i'm very familiar with hydroxychloroquine and different other chloroquine drugs for the use right. of malaria, you know malaria treatment which right. is what it's for right right and it's also for other few things like lupus and so on um I understand that large quantities of hydroxychloroquine were sent down from the United States to Brazil, um, which actually are still uh, in the ports and have not even been liberated for public use, which is a very good thing. Right. So people are not, thank God they're not taking it. Yep. No. Uh, uh, although, you know, the president uh, is on about, you know, how we should. It's actually quite difficult to get, which is great. Um, what we're doing here, Lucas, as you may remember, uh, that we have a medicinal plants project. I'm not sure how that. Yes, yes, here. yeah, I do remember. Yep, there were everywhere the information about each plant, which was amazing too. I didn't know how these plants do so much for everybody in regards to many different like health issues. Right. So our our lab has recently been upgraded. We got a, um, a grant from Germany to fix it up, and we've been giving it's amazing workshops. <laughs> And working on, you know, obviously we, we don't claim to have any cures for COVID, but the right. sort of maintenance of health and basically um, people, rural people tend to be slightly more um, healthy, I think, in that, you know, that they're walking around and they don't suffer to such an extent from those kind of comorbidities or uh, like diabetes. and, and Right, yeah. right. Because they, they usually do eat or um Eat more healthier foods, Greg. Yes, and, and, and you know, it's uh, the air isn't isn't polluted, and the water, generally speaking, isn't so polluted. So I think people generally have a higher level of health. Um, you know, not due to any to anything except that that we are in a, in a privileged area, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And rural, rural farming life, of course, has to continue. So people are walking around and, and sort of taking exercise. And our medicinal plants program, we are now, we've transformed um, because we can't give, we can't have lots of people coming in, although maybe we'll be able to start that now. We've been giving workshops online Mm -hmm. um, on on simple things like, you know, creating uh, hand sanitizer, you know. Wow, that's awesome. So that's something you can create from plants. Yes. Wow, okay. 
and uh, you know, and, and just things generally to kind of boost your your immune system so that you're less likely to get it. And I, I don't know if, if we ever talked about this when you were here, but um, there's uh, a thing called forest bathing. Have you ever heard of forest bathing? No, I don't think so. Go. Um, you know, we know intuitively that's good for us to be in nature, right? We, we right. just know it, but we can't prove it. And um, I, I've been working for several years uh, in, with a Japanese NGO, and mm-hmm. just in Japan, and the Japanese have uh, made connections. They have discovered uh, that when you're out in the forest, the plants, all the plants um, are releasing chemical substances to basically to deter predators. So they may not be substances you, we can even detect. Right. <clears throat> but, you know, every plant, particularly in a tropical rainforest, has to work like crazy to survive because there are so many predators and so many reasons. Right, why they right. Work and these chemical substances which they exude um, are, are very, very helpful for boosting our immune systems. Oh, so it's like, so, so for example, like if you're like walking through a forest or just being in the environment where there is a density of like, you know, forests and things of the sort, it's something that should be like there in the air. So like it naturally like fortifies you, right? Yes, exactly. Nice. And we, we all kind of knew it, but we couldn't prove it. And the Japanese man- managed to kind of make the connection and prove it so that you can take somebody who is, you know, crazy busy and, well, in the old normal and stressed and is working in a hedge fund or something like right, that. Right, right, right. have time to even, you know, think properly. Mm-hmm. And put them in the forest and their blood pressure will, you know, will settle down. Wow. Um, it, you know, you can, you can sort of test uh, all kinds of ways to show how your, your body will react just to that time and space and, and, and being in that place. Wow, so, you, you really yeah, learned, think, that yeah. is amazing. Uh, you really learned something new every day. That, I never, I really never thought about that. That is, that is amazing. So they just made that discovery, like, discovery recently or has it's been some time? Like, um, probably probably uh, 10, 10 years ago or something, but check it out years. on the internet. It's called forest bathing, like, you know, swimming in the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's it's actually a very good way of, uh, if you're thinking in terms of economics, of monetizing the forest. Wow. How do we how do we make you know people know that forests are nice and so on, but how do you make money out of a forest? Right. Uh, particularly if you're not allowed to chop it down. But if if you can use a forest as a kind of therapeutic area, amongst other things, apart from all the carbon capture and the you know, supply water and all the other services that forests provide, mm-hmm. um, it's another way of of forests and forest people, um, you know, being able to use their forest sustainable and and earning a living. So that's yeah, a really really exciting thing, right? Yeah, and plus, like on on that, while making a living through that, it also saves the environment as well, right? Because yeah. if it's proven that it helps people, mm-hmm. they will understand that. Like, if this helps, that means I shouldn't destroy it, right? That means I shouldn't go by my way to open more more space in the forest to build something else. And that's yeah. that's great to hear. Wow, I did not know that. And also, if you think of the the COVID connect connection, you know, um, if you cut down the forest, uh, then you know the, the animals that live in the forest have nowhere to go, and then this is how zoonoses, which are diseases that come originally from animals, are spread. 
and yellow fever. You know, yellow fever um, originally was uh, restricted to monkeys, and then when you cut right. the forest, the monkeys have nowhere to go, so you know the, the yellow fever has spread. So, you know, one of the things that Iracumbi has really always been about, and we're inviting you all to come and help us figure these things out, is, you know, uh, how we can make people realize that that in the face of climate change and all these things that are going on at the moment, what is why it is so important to preserve these spaces. And I think people are beginning to understand this now in the context of COVID because um, I think many people, although not all, our understanding that the climate crisis is, is real, big thing is real. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and it's, I, I'm just baffled about like that information. I really didn't know that that was something like forest bathing. That's a really interesting thing. I'll definitely search that up once, um, I guess some time. And finally, I just want to ask, I know that, uh, you know, like we mentioned before, there's a lot of misleading information that goes on and some of them even, marketed by like the president himself like just mm. put out there through videos that are spreading out that I, I have seen myself of him doing um and i know that he as well has been um they put like an order on him that he was he basically wasn't putting a mask on right he was just like no this is something small nobody yeah. you guys don't have to be worried about this but now that like if he's caught without a mask he has to pay a certain amount of money so yeah. and you can see with all of this that like it it shows that like a leader really um a president somebody in charge definitely has an impact on people because mm-hmm. I, i've seen so many people and sometimes you know i'm a little bit ashamed to say it, but like some people in my family that you know sit that are listening to this information and they're just like yeah no he's right and just go ahead on it and that becomes a problem right it spreads mm-hmm. more uh of the disease around and so in your in your thoughts to, to conclude like what do you do you think that um, he should be charged for something like this, um, for putting um, misleading information out there? I, I think that's a really interesting question and a really good place to, you know, to end this <laughs> discussion on. Right. Um, there, you know, there has been talk of uh, taking him to the International Court of Human Rights for genocide. Right. Uh, for allowing, you know, COVID particularly to affect the indigenous uh, tribes in the Amazon. Right. Um, and I think that morally there are very good arguments for that. Right, um, right. Uh, legally, however, uh, I was discussing this with Robin at lunchtime, it was a very interesting question. Legally, um, it would be really, really, sadly, hard to do. And so, so it's a question of whether there's enough moral pressure to, we can bring to bear. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So there's, so there really isn't much you can do like in a situation like this, right? It's, it just depends on like people getting together and going, you know, against it. And it, 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 it's tough to see that. Like, it's hard. Like you really can't do much um, about it. Unfortunately, we had to, um, we're coming to an end to this episode, <laughs> and it was a great episode. It was definitely great to talk to you, Binka. Um, we've talked about so many important things. Um, we definitely got in touch about we.com B, which is very important. We went, we yeah. definitely want to keep that relationship going um, with Fairfield University and um, B. We want to keep mm-hmm. sending students. We want to keep um, helping out with the projects and seeing can B grow even more. Um, and to leave things off, uh, I want to leave off a, mess- a message. Um, I want to remind everyone that we're still living through a pandemic, and it's crucial to wear your masks. 
use mm-hmm. your hand sanitizers, um, stay away from large groups, and just try your best to stay safe. Try your best to stay away from areas that you know that something can be spread. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to thank you, Binka, for coming in to talk with us. We appreciate you and Yanakambi's mission to work to protect the Brazilian Atlantic rainforest. Do you have anything else to say for us? Thank you. Yes, lots and lots of love to the Fairfield community all over the world, wherever you may be. And um, hurry back because we really need you guys to come and help us save the world. <laughs> definitely, definitely. One plant, planting one tree at a time. Definitely. Thank you so much, Minka. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Lots of love to you all. And just hang in there because better times will come and we'll all be better at the end. We really will. Definitely. 100%. <laughs> Thank you for turning into today's episode of COVID Around the World. Our next episode will focus on COVID and containment in Costa Rica. 